second lesson is taken from Paul's second letter to Timothy. And uh, I have printed a part of it in the bulletin. But I want especially the young people to catch the full impact of this. And so I've chosen the J.B. Phillips translation to read at this point. And then I'll go back and comment on those verses that are in the bulletin. Chapter 4, 2 Timothy. I solemnly charge you, Timothy, in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who will judge the living and the dead by his appearing in his kingdom, to preach the word of God. Never lose your sense of urgency, in season or out of season. Prove, correct, and encourage, using the utmost patience in your teaching. For the time is coming when men will not tolerate wholesome teaching. They will want something to tickle their own fancies, and they will collect teachers who will pander to their own desires. They will no longer listen to the truth, but will wander off after man-made fictions. For yourself, stand fast in all that you are doing, meeting whatever suffering this may involve. Go on steadily preaching the gospel. Carry out to the full the commission that God gave you. As for me, I feel that the last drops of my blood are being poured out for God. The time for my departure has arrived. The glorious fight that God gave me I have fought. The course that I was set I have finished, and I have kept the faith. The future for me holds the crown of righteousness which God, the true judge, will give to me at that day. And not, of course, only to me, but to all those who love his appearing. Do your best to come to me as soon as you can. Demas, loving this present world, has forsaken me and gone to Thessalonica. Crescens has gone to Galatia, Titus to Dalmatia. Only Luke is with me. When you come, pick up Mark and bring him with you. I can certainly find a job for him here. I had to send Tychicus off to Ephesus. And please bring with you the cloak that I left with Carpus at Troas, and the books, especially the manuscripts. Alexander the coppersmith did me a great deal of harm. The Lord will reward him for what he did. I should be very careful of him if I were you. He has been an obstinate opponent of our teaching. The first time I had to defend myself, no one was on my side. They all deserted me. God forgive them. Yet the Lord himself stood by me and gave me the strength to proclaim the message clearly and fully so that the Gentiles could hear it. And I was rescued from the lion's mouth. I am sure the Lord will rescue me from every evil plot and will keep me safe until I reach his heavenly kingdom. Glory be to him forever and ever. Amen. Give my love to Priscilla and Aquila, to Onesiphorus and his family. Erastus is still staying at Corinth, and Trophimus I left at Miletus sick. Do your best to come before winter. Ebulus, Linus, Claudius, and Pudens all send their greetings to you. The Lord be with you and your spirit. Grace be with you, Paul. Amen. Now let us worship God with our gifts. Our Heavenly Father, some of our number are sick. 
Just like Paul left Trophimus at Miletus sick, so we still have sickness with us to this day. We still love our friends with whom we share pain or sorrow, and so we commit those whose names have been printed in our bulletins today and who have special need for special uh, grace. We pray that you will be with Clyde Stubbs and Ms. Harry Bryan and Flossie Baker and with others who are sick too whose names have not been mentioned. We pray that you will watch over them and bless them, grant them that which is appropriate to their special need. And then, Father, within this sanctuary, there are many, many who have burdens that are not easy to bear who need special grace too. We thank you for the light and the strength and the power that comes from your word. And you, we pray that this morning you will speak to us the word which we as individuals need most to hear, and that then you will enable us to live it out in our day-by-day -day walk. Bless these gifts which we bring, superintend their use, and grant that they may bring honor to you. Now make the words of my mouth and the meditations of all our hearts to be acceptable in thy sight, O Lord, our strength and our Redeemer. Amen. Charles Clegg and Kay Weeks want to invite their friends to their next Sunday afternoon at 2 p.m. It'll be at the home of Mr. and Mrs. John Updike on Oklahoma Road. We want to extend our best wishes and our prayers to them. You know, the other day I was out in Oklahoma and I got a book that I was reading on Oral Roberts. And uh, it's a new book by a very competent and able historian. Uh, whose name is Edwin Harrell. And uh, uh, in it, he was talking about how tough-minded uh, President Roberts could be, especially about his basketball team. And uh, that they had gone to Madison Square Garden and were playing in a big tournament there, and it had gotten down to the final wire. And so the reporters were interviewing uh, Mr. Roberts, and they said, uh, you're the president of this uh, great Christian school. Now, if your coach loses this game, are you still going to love him? And Oral Roberts said, yes, we will still love him, and we will also miss him. <laughs> <laughs> so if I don't do... Napoleon Bonaparte and the Apostle Paul are the two most renowned prisoners in all of human history. Clarence E. McCartney said one was in prison because the peace of the world demanded it. The other was in prison because he sought to give to men that peace which the world cannot give and which the world cannot take away. One had the recollection of cities and homes which he had wasted and devastated, and the other had the recollection of homes and cities and nations which had been blessed by the presence and cheered by his message. One shed rivers of blood upon which to float his ambitions. The only blood that the other ever shed was the blood which flowed from his own wounds for Christ's sake. One could trace his path to glory from ghastly trails of dead men's bones which were stretched from the Pyrenees to Moscow and from the pyramids to Mount Tabor. The other could trace his path to prison, to death, and to immortal glory 
by the hearts that he had loved and the souls that he had won and gave the kingdom of God. Napoleon once said, I love nobody, not even my own brothers. It is not strange, therefore, that at the end of his life, on his rock prison in the South Atlantic, he said, I wonder if there is anyone in all the world that really loves me. But Paul loved all men. His heart was the heart of the world. And from his lonely prison in Rome, he sent out messages which glow with love unquenchable and which throb with fadeless hope. Those words were written on October the 10th 1915, 70 years ago, in Philadelphia, Pennsylvania, when a remarkably gifted and competent preacher by the name of Clarence E. McCartney began to be burdened by the needs of a number of medical students that were close to where his church was in Philadelphia. I think I counted last night in Philadelphia, there's still about, six, I think there are seven medical schools in the city of Philadelphia alone. It's always been a center for medical education. And back even in 1915, uh, the medical students were always busy and it was hard to reach them. And Dr. McCartney wanted very much to impress upon them their need of faith in Jesus Christ. And it was one at one of those services for medical students that he first preached his great sermon, Come Before Winter. The other day I saw Chuck Swindoll, who's my favorite, one of my very favorite preachers, said that all originality and no plagiarism makes for a dull sermon. <laughs> and I noticed he's got a new book called Come Before Winter. <laughs> I saw it the other day in the Baptist bookstore. Uh, this is a, a great title. Now this is what Dr. McCartney noticed. He noticed that this autumn season of the year, when you come up here to look at the foliage, you're interested in looking at those leaves that are orange and yellow and hectic red and brown and deeper colors. You sense that the air is beginning to tingle and become frisk, uh, crisp and the skies will become very blue. And then you know that there is a change taking place. Autumn has always been the time of reflection and recollection. And Dr. McCartney, walking down the street toward Jefferson Medical College, thought of the fact that life passes away so quickly. And change take place, changes. And people's lives harden. And they become difficult to deal with. And he thought if only he could speak on something that would cause some of those med students to really turn to Christ, it would be worth it all. And as he read Paul's letter to Timothy, he began to think and to reflect that in the straits of life, when it comes right down to the time when you're about to leave this world, you're fortunate if you have a few friends upon whom you can really depend and know that they are true. And the great apostle himself, imprisoned in Rome, is it's touching to see what he writes. I can remember walking down inside that 
dungeon where he is supposed to have been imprisoned one cold winter day myself. And I thought it was so, such a natural human touch to write to Timothy and say, Timothy, when you come to me here in Rome, do your best to come and come before winter. Go by Carpus's house and pick up my old cloak that I left there and bring it to me because it was cold there in that dungeon. Well, if Timothy had received this letter from Paul and thought, well, I will go down to Ephesus where I've got to ordain some elders. I need to go hold communion over at another city nearby. There are committees that need to meet and things that need to be done. And it distracted himself. And then finally, when all of the busy affairs had been taken care of, had made his way down to the port and said, I want to get a ship that will take me to Rome. And the sailors said, we don't sail to Rome now because the winds of November and December are upon us. And we don't put out to sea in the Mediterranean and the Adriatic at this time. You don't go to sea now because the ship would be bashed to pieces by the waves and the storm. There will be no more sail for Rome until next spring. If that had happened, Timothy would have gone through a miserable winter, wondering what on earth ever happened to Paul. And then when spring came, Dr. McCartney had in his imagination this thought. Suppose Timothy went down, got the first ship that he could take, and made his way toward Rome and got there. And when he went to that old Mamerton prison that I've been in myself and some of you have too, he asked the jailer, where is, where is Paul? The jailer said, we don't have any prisoner named Paul. What do we know about these villains and trash that we have to arrest here? We don't keep up with them. And then Timothy would have remembered that at the end of the letter that he received, there were names. For Paul was always careful to give credit to those who assisted and helped him. That's one of the marks of a really good man. The whole 16th chapter of Romans is a whole list of names of men and women that assisted and helped Paul in his great ministry. And so they would have been in Rome because that's where the letter to the Romans went. And here in 2 Timothy, he lists uh, those beautiful names, Claudius and Linus. These are people that would have been spoken to. Timothy may have searched them out and said, what's happened? And they, Dr. McCartney imagines this. What if one of them had said, oh, Timothy. Timothy, Timothy, you were on his mind all the time. Didn't you know he was beheaded last December? Practically, the last thing that he ever said was, Give Timothy my love. Tell Timothy I'll meet him at God's right hand to keep the faith. 
Now, I don't believe that happened. I think Timothy went on. I think he must have gone out to the place where Paul was beheaded with him and read letters to him and brought the scrolls and the parchments that he wanted. But what this tells us is that there are things that are very important in life for us to take care of while we have the opportunity. That's why I took the trouble to go back and read from Phillips those words. Never lose your sense of urgency. What does he say? That you have the prescription for all the peace in the world. He says, preach the word of God. You are to call men to faith in him because they will go out into a Christless eternity without the Savior. That's what he called them to. He said, don't be bewitched by the teachers who come with new-fangled doctrines that they are teaching. Stick to the basics. The Word of God. Stay with the Gospel. Never lose your sense of urgency. That's an important message for the church to dust off and read again today. I look back over my own life, and I think of the years that I've been in Montreat. And by God's grace, I have been able from time to time to get people some help to get through school or go and beg someone to do this or that. But the only people I've ever really helped are the people that have come to know Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior. Everything else will go away. Paul sensed this, and he wanted to get that urgency across. There are things that if we do not do them before winter comes, they will never be done. When Dr. McCartney talked to his medical students, he wanted to remind them that there are voices that speak to us, a voice which calls for the amendment, the change, the reforming of our character. On the 700 Club on Friday night, I saw Pat Robertson interview a young man with AIDS, that terrible disease that is 75% caught and transmitted because of crass homosexuality, which is a sin before God, the overt practice of it. But this boy had repented, and his life was changed, and it was beautiful to see his testimony. He said, I went against God, and I went even against nature, and so I suffer in my body for what I did. But God has forgiven me, and there is peace in my heart for that forgiveness, and I no longer do those things anymore, and whatever days are left to me will be lived out for God. And I thought that's the that needs to be preached and taught. You can appropriate $180 million, but you'll never make Sodom safe with any other message than the message of being born again, the message of turning to God through faith in Jesus Christ and having a changed character and a changed life. Ewell Brenner died last week. And did you see him being interviewed on television from lung cancer? 
And he said very movingly, he said, I, I, I would like to leave behind me a commercial. A commercial telling people who smoke to stop. Not to use any excuses, but to stop today. Because of what it's done to hurt and to afflict my life. So there come times in which we reflect and think. And if we take that opportunity and move on that opportunity at that time, then we can gain ground and our characters can be changed and good can happen to us. And I say these not in a condemnatory way at all, but only because we need to hear this message. Also, there are responsibilities of friendship and, and affection that come to us. When I went home, I saw my mother, who will soon be 92. And you know, when I watched her in the house, putting her hand on a piece of furniture, all crippled over with arthritis, and moving to another piece of furniture, and another piece to move around, but still living by herself, still cooking, her mind clear, her eyesight dim, her hearing about gone. Two or three times I caught my eyes filling up with tears. And I thought about my responsibilities to her. One medical student that day that Dr. McCartney preached originally on this theme kept hearing those words, come before winter, come before winter, come before winter go through his mind. He went in the library and picked up a magazine and tried to read it, but still he was haunted by the words. And something told him, write your mother. And so, he took some paper and he wrote a beautiful letter to his mother, thanking her for all that she had done for him and for the great example of her faith and her life. And he took it down to the corner mailbox and mailed it. And then three days later, he got a telegram, which back then the Western Union delivered a yellow envelope with a telegram. They came into class and handed it to him. He tore it open, and it said, Come quickly. Mother is dying. He took the train from Philadelphia to Pittsburgh, and he went from Pittsburgh to New Galilee, Pennsylvania, where he lived. And he got there in time to see his mother, and she recognized him. And unable to speak, she smiled. And he saw her pass away into eternity. He noticed the corner of something sticking out under a pillow, and he pulled it out. And beneath her pillow was the letter that he had written to her only three days before. He told Dr. McCartney about that experience, and he said, I will be glad as long as I live that you preach the sermon come before winter, and that I wrote my mother that letter, and that she went away knowing how much I loved her. There are people that we need to write. There are people that we need to make amends with, and we can do it by faith in God and by turning and trusting to him and asking for his direction and guidance. And it's important for us to do that. I 
saw one of my friends the other night, a minister who had a funny experience. You have to be a door-to-door salesman to appreciate this. There was a lady in his uh, church who just seemed to oppose him on every single thing that came up in the, uh, the church at all the business meetings, and oh, it was a grief to him. And one day he was passing her house in the car, and he thought, well, one more time, I'm going to stop and see if I can't do something uh, to make peace. And he went up and he knocked on the door. And she was in the house, but she didn't come to the door. He had that old door-to-door salesman instinct that said, she's in there. So he knocked again, and she didn't come to the door. So he went around to the back, and he knocked on the back door. She didn't come there. He went back to the front and knocked on the door again. And then it was an old-fashioned house with a large keyhole in the door. And he got down on his knees, and he looked through that keyhole. And he saw another eyeball looking right at him. And then just on the impulse, he reached up and grabbed the doorknob and the door. And there they were. And she said, this is the first time we've ever seen eye to eye on anything. (laughs) And he said, yes, and it's the first time we've ever been on our knees. (laughs) So if you pray, then God can enable you uh, to make Uh, amendments that need to be made and have friendships that are real and that are true and that will work. So that voice speaks to us. And then above all is the voice of Christ. The voice of Christ that calls to us. When I looked at that name Trophimus a while ago, you know, if you study the Bible carefully, you can make those names come alive. Our son who's doing a degree down at Duke in New Testament, tells me that uh, some of the finest studies have been made by just taking those names and tracing people that have been Roman clerks or Roman soldiers, or you can learn much about each of the names. And Trophimus is a name in there. And I thought, well, where have I seen the name Trophimus? And then I remember that Trophimus, Trophimus was with Paul, and Luke also was with Paul, when Paul was arrested and brought before Festus and Agrippa. And to me, the most powerful speech in the entire New Testament. And uh, if you go through the book of Acts and study the rhetoric, the oratory that's there and the power, you get into the 26th chapter of Acts and you read that great speech that Paul made in a Roman courtroom that would have been far bigger than this chapel. And in that he gives his testimony of how on the road to Damascus, going to strike down Christians, he said, I saw a light. I heard a voice. I obeyed. I was not disobedient. I have continued to this day. Now that's a great thing for us to remember when the voice of Christ speaks to us. If he speaks to us calling us reformation in our character, if he speaks to us about responsibilities that we have to friends and to family, if he speaks to us calling to us about real salvation, that we should surrender our lives to him today for time and for all eternity, are we willing to surrender our lives to him? Are we willing to obey the voice of Christ?
Can we say to God, I've used the light you gave me. I heard your voice and obeyed it. I have continued right on to this day to be faithful. You see that in what the blessed Apostle Paul does here. One reason that I spoke, wanted to try to preach on this theme yet again. I had an elder who was a great support, a great blessing and friend. And only, I don't believe it was a month before he died, he asked me if I would this sermon. And I said, I've preached that before. And he said, preach it again. Preach it again. And this year I had some people who came and said, preach it again. You know why? Some of us won't be here next October. Some people who are listening to my voice won't. This doesn't mean that we're to be afraid of death. We're to respect it. But we are to take advantage of the opportunities that are given to us. Because when you walk outside today and you're stunned by looking up at the color and the beauty of the leaves that are out there, stop and think. There'll be a hard frost that'll come. And the chlorophyll and the starches, the sugars that go into the coloring of those leaves, the cold rains will begin to come down. And those leaves will be stripped away from the trees and sent swirling across the fields, the lawns. And then you'll see spots of water that are turned to ice. And before long, the snow will come to the mountains. And winter will have set in. So, the voice of God calls to us. The voice which tells us to amend our character. The voice which tells us to be faithful to our responsibilities to our family and friends. But above all, the voice without which we cannot be saved. The voice of Jesus Christ calling us. Calling us to give our lives over to his lordship. Have you really and truly given your life to Christ? If not, why not? What possible excuse could you have? He offers you salvation. How do you get it? I watched Francis Schaeffer one time. He's dead now. He's gone on to be with the Lord. He was on a, one of those TV uh, programs where people ask you questions, and this guy boxed him in uh, with another man that uh, sort of took advantage, I thought, of the time. But at the very last minute, the uh, announcer, uh, the television interviewer, said to uh, Dr. Schaefer, you have the last 60 seconds. Tell us how to become a Christian. What is a Christian? And Francis Schaefer said a Christian is one who is bowed twice. He is bowed once to show that he needs the Savior. He is bowed twice to show that he accepts him as his Lord. Have you bowed twice? Once to show that you need him, you ought to have felt your need today. And twice to show that you accept him as your Lord. If not, I hope you will.